Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And so when we think in terms of giving, while there's a financial part of that, we want to really be thinking in terms of our entire lives. If he gave his life for us, he asked no less from us. He wants our life, and he wants our time, our talents, our energies, our resources. Why? All of those were gifts to us in the first place. As we now turn to Matthew chapter 6, we continue to study the words spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Sam takes us through some of what Jesus has to say about giving. Not just the what of it, but the heart and the motives behind it in a message entitled, The Gift of Giving. Let's listen in. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, just the first four verses, the title of our message, The Gift of Giving. Chapter 6 begins with these words, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They think that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward, or will himself reward you openly. This is the beginning of a new section in Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. And for the next three weeks, we'll be looking at giving, praying, fasting, and trusting. And what we're going to see is that when it comes to these things, these areas of growth and relationship, that because God's a giver, he is making us into givers. Because prayer is essential to our interaction and our, our intimacy with God, he is going to make us into men and women, boys and girls, that have a deep and devoted prayer life. Fasting will find its place, and we'll be talking about fasting next time. Not dieting, but fasting. You'll find it fascinating. And then finally, trusting. Well, today it's all about giving, and it's not going to be the message you might expect in seeing the title. You need to know that when the Bible talks about giving, it's not just talking about finances and, and you know, physical things like that. Ordinarily, that's what we imagine because ordinarily that's all we hear. But Jesus gave what for us? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son and Jesus gave his life. He gave that which was most precious, the greatest sacrifice possible. And so when we think in terms of giving, while there's a financial part of that, we want to really be thinking in terms of our entire lives. If he gave his life for us, he asked no less from us. He wants our life and he wants our time, our talents, our energies, our resources. Why? All of those were gifts to us in the first place. Everything built into us, everything useful uh, for others is something that God has fit and fashioned within us. Now, he begins with these words, take heed. 
And I've noticed over the years that when Jesus warns us or commands us, he never does it unnecessarily. He doesn't say, watch out or be careful or pay attention. And really, these words, take heed, are a command from Jesus. They're present tense, which means it's an ongoing need. He's saying, be on guard, be watching out, take heed, be careful. Be careful about what? He says, be careful that when we give, when we serve, when we offer ourselves or our time or our talents or our energies, make sure that we're not doing that in order to be seen by men. Now, if you were here for our study of Matthew 5, you might be thinking, wait, isn't this a bit of a contradiction? And I want you to go back and see what he said in chapter 5, verse 16. Because if you're not thinking of it, you should be. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What he's telling us here then is that the works we do, the, the things we give, they are going to be examined by men. In fact, um, men definitely look on our actions look on the way we speak, look on the things we do, and they judge accordingly. So if we say we're Christians and they know God's loving, they expect us to be loving. If they know God to be generous, they expect us to be generous. If they know that God is a God of integrity, they expect us to have integrity. And they have every right to expect that, you see. Men are examining our lives. That's why back in chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now we're not saved by what we do or what we give or by what we say. We're saved by grace through faith. But we're saved unto good works that God foreordained that we would walk in them. Ephesians chap- chapter uh, 2 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So... So here's the picture, and go back with me then to Matthew 6, 1. The picture is men are going to examine what we do and what we say and and how we live. But God is going to take it a step deeper, a step further. He examines our motivation for all we do, our motivation for all we don't do. And so men judge by outward appearance. God judges the heart. Now, there's an interesting passage back when King David, long before he'd become king, was about to be anointed as the next king. Saul was still on the throne, but he'd been rejected by God. And so God sends a prophet to David's house, and uh, David's dad brings out his oldest, his eldest, this good-looking, strapping, big guy, and and he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord says, no way, I have refused him. And he tells him something we need to latch on to. He says, God doesn't judge as men judge. Men look at the outward appearance, but he says, I look on the heart. You see, even David's father would have never guessed he would be king. Why? He was the runt of the litter. He, he was just a little guy out watching the sheep. 
But what God saw in David was a man with a heart after God. And so he's not just looking at what we do or what we don't do. It's a big thing when you're a young Christian to emphasize what you no longer do. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. And uh, I just have this new mindset. But we can fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm more spiritual because I don't do those things. Well, it, it is better to put away bad habits and it's certainly good to put on good habits. But our righteousness, and we've seen this in past studies, our true spirituality is something inward that's working its way out, not something outward that's working its way in. So we want to make sure that things are right inwardly. That's why God says here, Jesus says to us, take heed. It's more than a warning. It's a command. It's present tense. It suggests there should be an ongoing motivation check. As we do good deeds, that those words, charitable deeds, just speak of our giving, our uh, ministries, our, our care for others, in whatever fashion or capacity that might um, manifest itself. In other words, if you're serving in the nursery, make sure you're serving in the nursery out of gratitude for God because you just love him and you love children. Because we might say, man, we really needed help. Well done. Good job. Thanks a lot. But if that's your motivation and we forget to say, well done. Good job. You don't get the pat on the back. Well, what will happen? Pretty soon you'll be grumbling and complaining and murmuring. Can't believe I'm stuck in here with these little brats. And, and, and those kids will begin to sense. You really don't love them. You're not there to care for or nurture them. And this is true no matter where you serve or how you serve. And I want to deal with those issues because if we limit this to giving or giving to the poor, well, then we're going to narrow it so far that we miss many people here today. And so bottom line, Jesus is saying we need to be constantly checking our motivations. Now, I don't want to suggest that we get to the point of absurdity with this, that every time we're doing anything, we're like, well, now, why am I doing this? I know some Christians that don't do good works because they say, I'm really not, my heart's not in it, so I don't want to do it. Or I don't give because, well, I'm really, I don't feel like it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, it would be better to be obedient and line up your motivation and your, your heart with that than to be disobedient and say, well, you know, at least I'm not a hypocrite. Well, he's going to talk about all those things. Take heed you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. See, those are the key words, to be seen by them. Let your light so shine that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But if my motivation is to be recognized, to, to be applauded, to, to be approved by men. Well, God's looking on the heart and he's going to say, that's, that's not me. You're not doing that as unto me. You're not doing it out of gratitude toward me. You're not doing it in response to me. So God judges our motivation. Now check this. It's a given that as children of God, we will be giving, we will be generous, and we'll be gracious. Why? God's all those things. He's a giving God. For God so loved the world, he gave. And he gave sacrificially. He gave his very best. He met our greatest need by sending his son Jesus to die on that cross, pay the penalty for our sins. So Jesus becomes our, our role model, if you will, in giving. 
He didn't give a little of himself. He lived every day to the glory of the Father and to meet the needs of those around him. And then he died a substitutionary sacrifice, was buried, rose again, and well, we'll be celebrating all that in less than a month. So it's given that we will, because we're becoming more Christ-like, as we grow in Jesus and become more like Jesus, we'll be more giving, more generous, more gracious. Note in verse 2 there, it says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, see, there it is, and we'll find this over and over, when you pray, when you fast, why? It's expected as children of God that we'll be doing what Jesus did, that we'll become more like him. Now, this has so many practical applications, and one of the most wonderful has to do with our our married relationships or our relationships within our family especially. You know, most people when they get married, most gals think they're marrying Prince Charming and most guys think they're getting Cinderella, but it doesn't take long to find out that ain't exactly the case. The honeymoon's over, things are settling down, and, and you notice Prince Charming has some habits. Well, you noticed them before, but you were sure you'd be able to wean him from them. Once you've connected with him, rarely happens. In fact, those little things that bug you now if you're engaged, they'll drive you crazy 10 years from now. You will never change that man. One thing about God, I mean about man that is like God, and that is we never change. So here's though where I'm going with this, and it's important. If you see yourself here and, and your mate or spouse here, and you understand that Jesus is up here, and your goal is to grow in Jesus and become like Jesus. Every single day that you live, if that's actually taking place, you are going to be growing closer to and becoming more like Jesus. And you see the dynamic that happens? You, as you become more like him and and get closer to him, you get closer to your spouse who's also becoming like him and growing closer to him. So the whole thing just gets better and better and better. What if somebody isn't growing in Christ, is rebellious, is, is walking the other way? Well, then it's going to be like this, see? You're not going to get closer together. You're not, you're not going to achieve God's plan and purpose for your lives. Well, I don't know how the marriage stuff slips in, but if, if it applies, then apply it. Here's what happens in our passage, though. Because God loves, and remember, he talked in our last study about loving not just those who love us, but, but those who persecute us and, and uh, are unkind to us and such. So, so now he's talking about, in a very practical way, demonstrating God's love by meeting the needs of people around us. Charitable deeds for those who first heard these words. That would mean any act of giving or care or kindness toward another. And so uh, he says, make sure that you check your motivation. You know why you're doing it or why you're not doing it. And if you're doing it to be seen from men or seen by men, he says, you need to know you have no reward from your father in heaven. Now, here's something really amazing. Our Lord is so gracious that he gives us opportunity to do things. He provides everything we need to do them. And then if we just say, all right, Lord, and you go for it, he rewards you as if the whole thing were you. He says you can't even give a cup of cold water to someone in his name without being guaranteed a reward. And so God is 
giving us opportunity each and every day to, to represent him in the world around us. And remember, they're looking at how we live, what we do, how we act, how we demonstrate his love. He's testing our motivation. Now, when it says to be seen by them, you'll like this, the Greek word that's translated here into this phrase is our word or the word from which we get our word theater. And I kind of like that. He's saying, when you're giving, when you're sacrificing, when you're serving, when you're offering yourself or your resources or your finances, don't build yourself a little theater to do it. Now, we're in a theater, but we didn't build it. We just bought it. And uh, the bottom line is, what he's saying is, we don't want to set a stage. We don't want to create a scenario where people are looking on and we're simply doing an act. We're just going through the motions or, or our motivations are absolutely contrary to those that would be acceptable to the Lord. You know, I don't remember who said it, but it's a quotation and so I can't quote him, but I'll let you know I didn't make it up. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. It's so important because Jesus is a giver and he's called us to be givers and he commands us to make sure when we're giving, when we're doing, when we're serving, when we're sacrificing, we're not doing it to simply put on a show to gain the applause of men, the approval of men, the adoration of men. Now, there are those who give for recognition in fact, sometimes churches and pastors are guilty of actually, well, facilitating that carnality. If you don't know the word carnal, it just means immature. And because we all want to be thought of as spiritual, we all want to be recognized. And, well, it's easy to say, well, we have this need and who's willing to volunteer? And we really try not to do those things. Whatever it is, we let you know if there are needs. And then we say, well, you know, talk to someone in the department or fill out something in the bulletin. But we don't say, who wants to come up here and show us how spiritual, spiritual you are by saying you're going to help out tonight, let's say. Is there a need? Oh, there's always a need. But it's possible for us to set the stage, to build a theater, if you will, and then let you be an actor on it. Well, if that's not acceptable to God for you to do, how much less for the church to be guilty of causing it or facilitating it? Now, if your goal is recognition by men, I think I already touched on this earlier, if you're looking for a pat on the back or a well done or, hey, thanks so much, you may get it. But if that's really what you're after, God says you have what you're after, don't expect anything from him. But if you're giving or doing or serving or sacrificing because you just want to please God and bless people, because you love God and you love people, well, that's a whole different thing. Your motivation will be different. And actually, the manner in which you minister will be different as well. So here are a couple unacceptable motivations for giving. First, recognition, trying to be recognized. Secondly, to be rewarded. Now, if you give to get, you're trying to put God in your debt. And, and of course, he is going to reward anything that's offered to him with right motivation, 
But if the motivation is, I got to get something out of this, well, he says, whatever you get, it's not going to be coming from him. And there are a couple implications as it would relate to, again, how things go down. My buddy, Danny Lehman, I think he's the first I ever heard use the phrase Santa Claus evangelism. Sometimes in our sharing the Lord with people, we can miss the most important word of the gospel, which is repent. Why? You can't possibly believe without repenting. You can't go right without having turned around. You can't do what's pleasing to the Lord if you're still doing your thing. And so we need to tell people, yeah, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But sometimes, and I'm not saying you, and I don't think I do it, although I think we're all capable of it, we could imply or infer that, oh, you're having some financial problems? Just come to Christ. That'll all work out. Or, or you're having marital problems? Just come to Christ. That'll all work out. Or, or you're having struggles with your children? Just come to church. Come to Christ. That will all work out. And here's what happens. When people come with a preconceived idea that getting right with the Lord means they'll be right with everyone else, and then those other people don't repent. Your wife decides she still doesn't want anything to do with you, or, or your kids are still a pain in the neck, or, or whatever is going on still goes on. Well, then you get disillusioned and, and say, hey, I was ripped off. I was promised all this stuff, and it didn't happen. Here's what I promise you. If you come to the Lord Jesus and confess you're a guilty sinner and turn from your sin, repent of your sin, he'll forgive you those sins. He'll cleanse you, adopt you, and begin to transform you into someone just like him. That's the whole deal. Now, that may mean healthier and should mean healthier marital relationships and better relationships with our kids and, and hey, things should go better all the way around. But if, if you're a lousy steward of your finances and you become a Christian and you don't change the way you deal with finances, you're still going to struggle financially. Do you get that? And, and sometimes people are promised, come to God and he'll give you all these goodies. It, it really isn't a biblical concept. Those things may or may not come, but they can't be the reason we come. And so if we're giving to be recognized, or we're giving to be rewarded to put God in our debt, well, that will never happen. My very best friend, all the way back to high school, and man, it was a long time ago for us, 1967 is when I met him. It was our senior year, so I know some of you are thinking, man, I wasn't born till like 77, 87, 67, whoa, but was, was Abraham Lincoln alive then? <laughs> anyway, Leo, my very best friend, we got to know each other our senior year of high school. Um, we played in bands together with phony IDs. He was he played Hammond B3. I was a lead screamer in the band at that time. And, and uh, we hung out together, got IDs, played in the clubs. Eventually, he moved up to Reno. And I stayed down in Newport Beach. I just wanted to do the music thing. He got the suits and the chains and, you know, the fake hair you patch on and did the whole, you know, Elvis and imitator type thing. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, he gets saved up there in Reno. 
And then about a year later, I get saved down in Newport Beach. And, and he had gotten this book. It directly applies to this idea of giving to get. He got this book called The Miracle of Seed Faith. Now get this. He's a brand new baby Christian and he's just soaking in the word. And, and there are some principles in the book that are absolutely biblical. But then what the guy does is he takes the biblical principle and he kind of stretches it like a rubber band. He makes some conclusions that are absolutely unbiblical and for the very reason we're considering together today. Here's the premise of the book. If you plant potatoes, you harvest potatoes. You plant corn, you'll harvest corn. You plant beans, you'll harvest beans. You plant money, you'll harvest money. Now here's where the problem begins. The guy who wrote the book was suggesting the very best field to plant the money was his field. It's one thing to say, if you give to the Lord, he'll give back to you. It's another thing for me to say, you give to me and he'll give back to you. See, and that's what the book was suggesting. Giving in the life of a Christian can be a tool the enemy uses to stumble us, either through pride by seeking kudos or recognition for what or how we have given, or by guilt for what we have not given. Neither of those things are the heart of our Lord. Rather, Jesus would have us learn the proper motivation, which is God's glory. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.